This is episode number 255 with the founder of PyImageSearch.com, Adrian Rosebrook. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by my very own book, Confident Data Skills. This is not your average data science book. This is a holistic view of data science with lots of practical applications. The whole five steps of the data science process are covered from asking the question to data preparation to analysis to visualization and presentation. Plus, you get career tips ranging from how to approach interviews, get mentors and master soft skills in the workplace. This book contains over 18 case studies of real-world applications of data science. It covers off algorithms such as random forest, k-nearest neighbors, naive bays, logistic regression, k-means clustering, Thompson sampling, and more. However, the best part is yet to come. The best part is that this book has absolutely zero code. So how can a data science book have zero code? Well, easy. We focus on the intuition behind the data science algorithms so you actually understand them, so you feel them through and the practical applications. You get plenty of case studies, plenty of examples of them being applied. And the code is something that you can pick up very easily once you understand how these things work. And the benefit of that is that you don't have to sit in front of a computer to read this book. You can read this book on a train, on a plane, on a park bench, in your bed before going to sleep. It's that simple, even though it covers very interesting and sometimes advanced topics at the same time. And check this out. I'm very proud to announce that with dozens of five-star reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, this book is even used at UCSD, University of California, San Diego, to teach one of their data science courses. So if you pick up Confident Data Skills, you'll be in good company. So to sum up, if you're looking for an exciting and thought-provoking book on data science, you can get your copy of Confident Data Skills today on Amazon. It's a purple book, it's hard to miss, and once you get your copy on Amazon, make sure to head on over to www.confidentdataskills.com where you can redeem some additional bonuses and goodies just for buying the book. Make sure not to forget that step. It's absolutely free. It's included with your purchase of the book, but you do need to let us know that you bought it. So once again, the book is called Confident Data Skills and the website is confidentdataskills.com. Thanks for checking it out and I'm sure you'll enjoy. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you back here on the show today. And today's guest is Adrian Rosebrook, who is a very experienced researcher in the space of computer vision. Adrian is also an educator in the space of computer vision. He is the founder of PyImageSearch.com, a very popular website on computer vision and OpenCV specifically. Uh, and you can find a lot of videos and blog posts and a lot of educational materials um, about computer vision there. And so what did we talk about today? Well, in this podcast, you'll get a great overview of the space of computer vision, what it was in the past, what it is now, and most importantly, what it will be in the future and what 
you need to prepare for if you're interested in computer vision. Also, we dove into quite a bit of depth on OpenCV specifically. So this is a, a library, one of the most popular libraries and tools for computer vision in the world right now. And in this podcast, you'll find out what it's all about and how to quickly get started with it. And also another thing we talked about is Adrian's Kickstarter, Adrian's third Kickstarter, which, which is actually running right now. So something that you might be interested if you want to dive into the world of computer vision, but more on that in the show. So all in all, you've got a very exciting podcast coming up. And uh, just before we dive straight into it, I wanted to give a shout out to our fan of the week. And this one goes to Rose Gadea. I hope, Rose, I'm pronouncing your name correctly. And this is what Rose wrote. Uh, Kirill invites a wide variety of guests in order to cover various topics in data science. In the podcast, he makes a field that might seem frightening and impossible to some an obtainable goal. Additionally, his courses are a great resource to learn the data science skills. Thank you so much, Rose, for this uh, feedback. Very inspiring to hear. And for those of you listening out there who haven't yet left uh, a review and some comments, then you can do so by heading over to iTunes or wherever other app you're listening to your podcast on and leave us a review there. I would be super thrilled to read it and possibly read it out as a fan of the week in one of the upcoming episodes. And on that note, without further ado, let's dive straight into it. I bring to you Adrian Rosebrook, founder of PyImageSearch.com. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. And today I've got a very special guest coming here onto the show, Adrian Rosebrock, calling in from Philadelphia. Adrian, how are you going today? I'm doing good, Real. Thanks for having me on. Man, it's a huge honor. I've been uh, following your work for, I think, since 2017. And to me, you're like one of the top experts in computer vision around the world globally. So like, I'm not kidding. So I'm very excited to dive into this topic in this podcast. How are you feeling about today's session? I'm really stoked. I will talk to anyone about computer vision. Um, I think my wife is the most stoked about this because, you know, it's just me and her. We don't have any children. And, you know, I think she's tired of hearing about computer vision. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. Well, to get our listeners up to speed uh, of whom I think maybe there are some who haven't heard of you before, even though Probably a lot of them, a lot of our audience has heard of you. Um, for those of you, for those of our audience who haven't heard of you before, can you give us a quick background? Who's Adrian Rosebrook and what do you do? All right, so I have a PhD in computer vision and machine learning. I'm a part researcher, part, uh, part author, part entrepreneur. I blog about computer vision, deep learning, and open CV over at my blog, PyMixSearch.com. And I've even, offered, I've even authored two books and a course on computer vision uh, as well. Awesome. And just for our listeners, Adrian has been very modest here. I, I want to, like, I literally just before this podcast, I went on Alexa.com, which is like a, a website ranking tool. And Adrian's website, Py Image Search, that py image search all one word.com because uh, from you know python image search um so it is the 16,227th most popular website on the world in the world and that's a huge accomplishment might sound like a big number but that is actually really massive out of like the millions and millions of websites out there 
So man, congratulations. You've had some really steady and also rapid growth over the past couple of uh, past 12 months or so. Oh, thank you, Kareem. I really appreciate that. Yeah, man. So um, what's your secret? Like why computer vision? You know, like you went into uh, doing a PhD in computer vision. Were you always interested in this topic? Because I'm assuming when you started uh, your PhD, computer vision wasn't as like explosive as it is now. How did you... Why did you pick this area? Well, it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, I started coding when I was a freshman in high school and I immediately fell into it. I was like this really weird, awkward kid mm-hmm. and I was very to myself, very introverted. And I had trouble, you know, relating to everyone else in high school. So help, uh, coding gave me that escape. And at the time, I was super interested in building websites. And I, and I thought for a good many years that that was going to be my career. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until my AP statistics class that I really thought of studying machine learning and computer vision. And it, that class opened my eyes to what is possible using strictly statistical models and tests. Mm-hmm. And it sounds super basic for me to say, um, but the first time I learned about what a mean and a standard deviation was, like that, that was truthfully eye-opening to me. Like I was like 17 years old sitting in this class, I was like, wow, like you can construct all of these predictive models based off of these two simple variables that are easy to calculate. Um, and our final project for that class, the teacher said, you know, in lieu of an exam, let's do a project. I want you to show me something that you can build uh, using statistics. So at that time, uh, I was starting to, to ponder, like, how does software, you know, understand what's in an image? And how could I build, like, an image search engine of sorts? you know, using these statistical models. And the way I decided to do it was, I was gonna create this super small data set of, um, of, Im- of images. I think I wrote a script to scrape like deviantart.com or something like that, mm-hmm. and downloaded like maybe a hundred images. And then of all languages, I used Java. I don't know why, maybe I was learning Java at the time. And I, I wrote some routines to compute the mean and standard deviation of the pixel intensities in an image. So like in a standard image that you see, there's three color channels. There's red, green, and blue. So I computed the mean and standard deviation for each of them. So that's six values, uh, six uh, values. And then I treated that like a vector, just computed the Euclidean distance between the mean and standard deviations for my data set and plus a new query image. Now that's like nothing novel. And you know, these types of things have existed for, you know, as long as the computer vision field has, uh, has been around. But for like a 17 year old kid, that was like, a holy sh- <laughs> whoa, like I can actually do something with like these variables. Mm-hmm. Um, so that got me super interested in, uh, in computer vision and actually kind of gave me um, my area of expertise, at least for a while, which was uh, cl- uh, content based image retrieval, which again, is just building image search engines. Mm. I love it, man. So th- I find that that's kind of like the best way to get into a technology where you explore it, not using the most advanced tools like you build stuff from scratch you know like playing around with pixels and you kind of understand through that process you understand the challenges that are faced in in this space what it is like to look at pixels and calculate uh, means and different colors and locations on the image and things like that and then when you do get your hands onto something like OpenCV or another library another powerful tool then it's even it's much more high level, but you've already done the nitty gritty low level things, and you know 
what is happening in the background when this tool is working and gives you a much deeper appreciation for the actual tool, wouldn't you say? Oh, I fully agree with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Just starting to talk about computer vision and deep learning, like we didn't have libraries like NumPy or Keras or TensorFlow. Like if you wanted to train a neural network, like you were implementing that, that yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so to be able to understand that nitty gritty just allows you to appreciate it so much more uh, once you get to that higher level. Awesome, man. And speaking of OpenCV, um, can you tell us a bit about this, you know, this tool, this extremely powerful um, tool that you use for computer vision? Because as I understand, most of your work is built around OpenCV. What is OpenCV? So OpenCV stands for Open Computer Vision. It's an open source library and it's really been the the de facto standard for computer vision and image processing. The goal of OpenCV is to facilitate real-time processing, uh, however, so things like accessing your webcam in an efficient manner and extracting frames and then allowing you to build a pipeline of computer vision steps um, to achieve some sort of goal. So like a, a good example is edge detection. Like in edge detection, your goal is just to find the boundaries of an object in an image. So like, let's say you wanted to build a document scanner like for your smartphone, where you would open your smartphone, open the camera and hold it over this document. And then like this app would find the piece of paper and you know take a photo and convert it to a PDF. Well, that's just a computer vision application and building a simple document scanner, like it's not challenging. It's either thresholding or edge detection. You know, you find the outline of this, um, outline of this document and you use contours uh, which will give you the XY coordinates of the, the boundary of the, of the edges. And then from there, you can apply this uh, perspective transform to actually give you this top-down bird's eye view of the document. And OpenCV just fac uh, facilitates all this. It gives you all the algorithms you need, and then uh, you just pick and choose which ones you need to, uh, to actually create your application. Mm, gotcha. And um, is, uh, is it correct that OpenCV is not actually deep learning? So this has been like a point of confusion that I've seen around for sure. Um, OpenCV is not meant to train neural networks or to train deep learning models. What OpenCV wants to do is be able to load those models in an efficient way. Um, that way you can perform inference using those models. But OpenCV is, is so much more than just inference using deep learning models. It's um, computer vision as a whole. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gotcha. So OpenCV is, uh, as I understand it, already contains some of these pre-trained, um, pre pre-modeled, you know, edges, contours, maybe people's eyes, noses, and things like that, that you can actually load into your model and you don't have to do that training on your own. It's already there. It can, now you can start applying it. Is that right? So yes, that, that's partially, partially right. OpenCV definitely provides these pre-trained models that you can use for face detection or pedestrian detection or you know, eye detection. All of that exists in OpenCV. But another goal of OpenCV is to say, okay, you want you train this model in TensorFlow or PyTorch or CAFE. You know, OpenCV wants you, be able, wants you to be able to take that model and then load it via OpenCV's built-in functions. That way you're not mixing all this TensorFlow code used to load a model with OpenCV's code. And furthermore, that gives OpenCV uh, room for a lot more optimizations. Like for example, using the OpenVINO toolkit, um, if you want to use a Movidius NCS, you know, that really helps OpenCV perform these underlying optimizations that may be unavailable to you if you were using whatever the native library your model is trained in. 
Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. And there's quite a few other tools out there in the market that, especially with the um, proliferation, proliferation of computer vision, they started popping up. For instance, SSD, single shot detection, YOLO, you only look once, and others. How does OpenCV compare to those tools in your experience? So, again, with OpenCV, um, you're just taking those models that were already trained, those those SSDs that were trained in CAFE, uh, you, the, YOLO, the YOLO models trained in Darknet. You, OpenCV is just taking those models and loading them. Mm. Um, yeah, the, OpenCV isn't retraining those algorithms. OpenCV isn't uh, providing their own implementations, typically. Sometimes they do, usually not. But um, the goal is for OpenCV just to be able to suck in those models, those existing models trained on different frameworks, and be able to perform inference using them. Gotcha. Wow. So I'm learning so much already. So OpenCV is kind of like the parent or the the main tool that you can import different elements into and build up your computer vision model. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And you know, there's still a lot of support um, that or a lot of functionality that needs to be implemented. Uh, we didn't see these implementations or the ability to load these models until OpenCV version 3.3. We're on uh, OpenCV 3.4 and OpenCV 4.0 right now. Mm -hmm. So there's still a lot of work and still a lot of layer support that needs to be implemented. Um, One of the biggest gaps right now is we can't use NVIDIA GPUs with OpenCV. Uh, I know for a fact that that's on their roadmap for Google Summer of Code this year. So I'm really hoping that they're going to be able to implement that. And then, you know, you'll be able to just load a model with OpenCV with your NVIDIA drivers installed and just, you know, have all these additional optimizations available to you. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what are some alternatives to OpenCV and how does how do they compare? So you have a few, um, a few libraries that I wouldn't call like true alternatives or, you know, competitors to OpenCV, but they're, they're different choices. Uh, one of my favorites is Scikit image, um, similar to scikit-learn, only this is for computer vision and image processing algorithms. And one of the things I like about scikit-image is that it has a really nice intuitive API. It's much more Pythonic. OpenCV's API is, um, isn't the best, per se, from a strictly Python perspective. So scikit-image definitely stands out in that regard. And what's also kind of cool is that you see state-of-the-art implementations faster in scikit-image. Uh, not necessarily deep learning algorithms, but just kind of your more standard computer vision algorithms. Uh, then there's also the DLib library from from Davis King, and DLib just started as Davis's collection of um, of tools and algorithms he was using at his job, mm-hmm. and it just kind of morphed uh, into becoming more and more computer vision and deep learning. Um, so a lot of listeners on this podcast may have heard of uh, the face recognition library, face underscore recognition. Um, it's from a guy named Adam Gecki. He was a he was actually a speaker at PyMageConf this last year, and he's he's a super cool guy. But what he did was he took DLibs for face recognition and um, just made it super super easy to use. Like you could just pip install this library and start performing face recognition. Uh, so again, those are those are some fun libraries that you can play around with. Um, DLib especially has these obscure algorithm imp- uh, implementations you won't find anywhere else. So if you haven't heard of that library, definitely, definitely check it, uh, check it out. Gotcha, gotcha. So, but you would still say that OpenCV is the industry standard? For open source computer vision, yeah, absolutely. Gotcha, awesome. Um, and how how hard is it to get started into OpenCV? Let's say 
Um, there, there are many listeners on this podcast who are still deciding on where to progress their career in data science. They might be beginners or they might be expanding their careers. How difficult is it to get started and create your first sample projects project in uh, OpenCV? Man, it's, it's so easy, and especially compared to five years ago. Um, it was probably five or six years ago, I, was, I took my first and only undergrad course in, in computer vision. And our, our first project, the professor said, okay, you're gonna go home and you're gonna install OpenCV on your machine. And I were like, come on, like how long could that be? Like it's gonna take like a half hour. Well, there were about 50% of the students in the class could not get OpenCV installed on their wow. machine before the assignment was due. Um, and it was it was a bear. You know, you had uh, you had to compile it from source, the documentation wasn't as good. Um, and there quite frankly weren't that many um, tutorials and, and books online as there are today. Luckily, you know, it's it's gotten easier. Um, we're at the point now where we can do pip installs of OpenCV, and it's it's fairly reliable in most operating systems. Of course, if you want all like optimizations and everything else, you can compile it from source. But even compiling from source um, is super easy as well. So it's it's just a testament to how quickly and, and how fast uh, the computer vision field is growing. There's just so much interest in this area right now. And if, and if anyone is looking for a niche area that they want to do within within data science. Like I, I cannot recommend computer vision enough. Mm, I agree. It's and part of the reason for this is that we are moving from a world of, all right, how do we deal with structured data and how do we get a competitive advantage as a business from structured data to a world where okay, all of our competitors are already using the structured data for an advantage. Now let's look at our unstructured data. Do we have any? Uh, cameras that are monitoring, you know, our products. Can we put some cameras in, you know, on a, uh, above our conveyor belts to monitor for defects or for, you know, like to sort out items? Can we put some cameras in the car park to see how our customers are coming in and going out? Can we use Google satellite images and apply computer vision there to detect certain things that we're looking for? And and plenty and plenty of areas where there's unstructured data that's already being collected or we can start collecting it. And the richest by far form of unstructured data is video and image data, like way richer than what you can get from any kind of text document. And that's where computer vision comes in. Oh, absolutely. It's the number of areas that I see computer vision being applied to, you know, especially in medical fields, um, it's, mm. it's incredible. I'm, I'm just so happy to be part of this field right now. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of uh, applications, could you give us maybe three or five of your top um, examples that you've gathered over the years of applications of computer vision to inspire our listeners to maybe show some of these scenarios that we don't even normally think of in our day-to-day -day lives? Yeah, so one of the ones that was uh, really eye-opening to me was prescription pill I identification. Um, and I found out that over mm. 1.2 million injuries and deaths happen each year due to uh, a patient being given the wrong medication. Um, you know, maybe maybe the patient just mixes up their pills at home. Maybe the doctor prescribes the wrong pills, or maybe the pharmacist doesn't fill the prescription correctly. You know, there's a lot of ways that these, that these systems can break down. Mm. And traditionally, what uh, people would do for prescription uh, pill identification was they would just like Google the imprint of mm. the pill. Now, 
in the United States, you know, there's what about 30, 40, 30 to 40,000 like prescription pills on the market. Hmm. And over 50% of them are round and or white. <laughs> so we have an incredible number of similar pills uh, with similar embellishments or imprints with the company's logo. And simply Googling the, the name of the pill or excuse me, uh, Googling you know, what the pill looks like, that's not going to get you very far. Mm-hmm. So what the, uh, the National Library of Medicine did was they took all this information of pills, since every pill on the market is required by the government to have this insert fact sheet that not only uh, describes side effects, but shows what the physical um, what the physical pill looks like. So they ingested all this information and built this online form where people can kind of click and fill out information saying like, oh, it's a round pill with the imprint TD33, and uh, it has a size of maybe eight millimeters, and then um, this form will just kind of narrow down the, the search. Mm-hmm. The problem is that Humans are very, very prone to error with manual entry of information, especially if this information is technical in nature or we're not familiar with it. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't know where a ruler is in my house right now. Yeah. And I'm like, sure as hell I'm not going to go find it and measure a pill and be like, okay, like it's eight millimeters long or, you know, plus or minus a couple millimeters because my eyesight's not that good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is just introducing errors and people can't find what, you know, what a pill actually is. Mm-hmm. So this is a great example of where computer vision can come in handy. Using uh, using computer vision, you know, we can detect a pill in an image. If the camera's calibrated, we can get the size of it very accurately. Uh, we can compute the shape of it, uh, the color, and, and the texture. Mm-hmm. And that allows us to have this very accurate um, pill identification system and really just help reduce the injuries and deaths that happen each year just due to the wrong pill being taken. Mm. Wow. That, so it would be like an app on the phone or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. That's a really cool application. All right. Uh, anything else? Um, so another really good one is is anything related to uh, to medical areas. I originally did some consulting for the National Cancer Institute back uh, back during my early graduate school years, and, and we were developing systems to automatically determine the uh, the automatically determine the risk of breast cancer and breast histology images. Um, and these images are massive; like they're uh, if you were to load them up in RAM, they'd be multiple, multiple gigabytes. They're just huge, uh-huh. very, very hard to process. So we were just kind of coming up with ways to be able to do this automatically. Um, that way, you know, trained pathologists don't have to spend hours doing this risk assessment. Just click a button and the computer would show on it and give us, give us the output. And back then, you know, we didn't have deep learning. We just had these basic computer, uh, basic computer vision and image processing algorithms. And we did some pretty cool work there. And we were able to, to actually develop a system that could uh, detect and predict their uh, risk factors. Mm-hmm. Like now we're getting even and we're getting more accurate predictions. It was it was actually a, a really big deal for me because um, I, I kind of got away from medical computer vision for a few years as I was uh, writing other content and writing other books and courses. But um, back in, I guess, October, uh, one of my family members ended up telling me that they have, uh, they have cancer. Mm-hmm. And that was like, wow, like this is all of a sudden I'm, I'm dropped back in the world of medical computer vision and deep learning now. Like I'm so much more motivated to study it and using computer vision and, and deep learning, you know, we're able to do this analysis at a much higher rate that's so much more accurate. You know, we're able to predict 
breast cancer uh, and other types of cancer, um, we we're able to look to use uh, um, instant segmentation. So we're actually able to not only say yes or no to is there cancer in this image, but we're also able to localize like exactly where it is. So we can draw a bounding box around it and point to it and be like, yep, that's the cancer. Or we can even go to a deeper level and construct a pixel-wise mask and say each of these pixels, that's cancer, and these pixels are not. And you, that's, a, that's a dramatic simplification of the problem, but these, these algorithms are being applied to just everywhere in medical right now, and that's super exciting for me to see. Wow, that's so cool. It sounds like you are uh, quite well-versed in the medical space. Would you say that at some point in the future, computer vision will completely replace human analysis of any kind of medical images, whether that be MRI, X-ray, um, or pretty much any imaging that is done in the medical field? I think it'll greatly uh, reduce the burden of people who have to uh, perform those jobs. And, you know, hopefully it'll make their lives easier. You know, will it replace people altogether? You know, I, I highly, highly doubt that unless there's some sort of form that uh, um, a patient checks that says I waive the right for, uh, I waive the right of a person to actually look at my information. I'll trust the computer. Mm. And, you know, that's, whether or not that happens in our lifetime, it's, it's truthfully hard to say. It's like talking about, um, Bitcoin, for example, mm. at, at my age, even with Bitcoin exploding and, you know, dropping back down and, you know, even if it comes back up to millions of dollars per Bitcoin, like people, most people my age might be like, yeah, I, I'd rather have the, the dollars because I know the dollar. Mm. Um, but people who are much, much younger than me, they may say, no, I see the value in that. And I see that's where things are going. Um, so in, in some cases like some of the medical areas of uh, computer vision and deep learning like it it'll, it's going to take time it's going to take time for people to adjust to it um of course you know there's government legislation that has to go through as well so that's a long way of me saying no not anytime soon <laughs> gotcha gotcha uh, speaking of government legislation what is your experience in this space like uh, i'm assuming you're you know you've seen a few things or heard what's going on in the space of computer vision is it keeping up uh, to the advancements, or is it like um, extremely far behind? Um, I guess it really depends depends on the country. In in my opinion, um, the government legislation probably is not keeping up with the actual algorithms themselves and and what they're capable of. Um, you kind of look at some of the self driving car stuff, and you can kind of see what could be coming down the road. You know, I imagine that's going to be the one of the one of the areas that is most sweepingly reformed by by uh, legislation. No pun intended, uh, right? What yeah. could be coming down the road? Exactly. You, it, it's self-driving cars are are getting you know good, but there's this incredible liability um, oh. on top of them, and I don't think we're going to start to see that liability until we start approaching scale with mm -hmm. self-driving cars, and then you know it, it'll be unfortunate because that type of legislation can you know, make or break businesses. Like they could go out of business overnight. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's a little sad and unfortunate, but that's just kind of how government can work in some cases. It's, I think it naturally lags behind. All right, cool. So we've had uh, two examples from the medical field. Uh, that's very, very interesting. Do you have any uh, example um, from another industry just to mix it up a little bit? Oh, definitely. Um, I wish I could remember the name of the company and, uh, and the person who runs it, but 
probably five or six years ago, there was this guy that I knew and he was very interested in um, in-store analytics. And so what do I mean by that? People walk into a major shopping store and they start browsing around and looking at what, um, look, looking at the various products. And believe it or not, like companies are very interested in how their stores are laid out and, you know, people seeing this product first and that product first. They want their stores laid out in a way that optimizes purchase and you know, reduces the friction and the amount of time it takes from a potential customer walking to different areas of the store. So like store layout is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, and you also want to measure like how long an average customer stands in front of like a various kiosk, you know, like say the new, you know, whatever the biggest, you know, new video games coming out at GameStop, like GameStop would like to know, hey, how many people are stopping to check out this mm. display? Where can we put this display in our store to optimize sales? Um, so I knew a guy and he created this company that originally started uh, started by him soldering together uh, Dance Dance Revolution uh, mats mm -hmm. and then putting them under like the like the carpet of the floor and then uh, being able to monitor these mats and like track people as they walk around the store and like, you know, detect how long they stop at this kiosk or that kiosk. Mm -hmm. So. That's like kind of an old school way of doing things now. Like with computer vision, just you know, mount a camera in the corner of your store and we can perform person detection, right? And we can track them as they are walking around the store. We can, you know, if they stop at kiosk, we can track down to the second how long they and if you want to get really crazy, you can put a camera in front of the kiosk and monitor the person's, you know, let's say uh, facial expressions and their emotions. What are their emotions, if any, that they have while looking at this kiosk? Are they emotionally engaged in that product? That information is super, super valued uh, to these commerce companies because they want to optimize um, their stores in any way that they possibly can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's how the Amazon Go stores are working, right? Like you come in and uh then you just you don't they don't even have shopping assistants these days in those stores like it's something new but that's where the world's going right computer vision plays a huge role in that yeah absolutely that's fantastic well thank you thank you for the uh, three examples hopefully that's very inspiring to our listeners is of course there's plenty plenty more and i uh, just a quick google search on applications of computer vision can put that into perspective so i wanted to switch gears a little bit here and talk about what it is that you do on Pi Image Search. So it's a very popular website. There's uh, thousands upon thousands of people visiting and um, doing something there. Tell us a bit about uh, your creation. What is it all about? So what I want to do with, with Pi Image Search is I just want to teach you to be awesome at computer vision, deep learning, and OpenCV. At this point, I've, I've authored over 300 free tutorials on these libraries, and you can come there and you can actually learn something, learn something practical that you can go and download and just launch and see it in action. And from there, you know, I, it can inspire you, it can inspire you to build your own projects. So that's that's what Pyramid Search is all about. It's pure education that's practical, that's real world, and very hands-on. That's awesome. So you mentioned 300 tutorials that are for free on your website. Yes, that's correct. That's so cool. Um, and how's uh, how's the feedback been from students? Like, uh, have you had many success stories? Oh, definitely. Like, we've um, a few, I guess a few months ago now, we actually had 
uh, a person who read one of my books and courses actually win uh, Kaggle's most popular image classification um, no uh, competition. No yeah. way. That's yeah, it was, so cool. it was about like twenty-five thousand, maybe even thirty-five thousand dollars from this this competition. Wow, that's awesome! Congratulations, huge testament. So, and they they wrote to you. Yeah, yeah. He reached out and you know, he he thanked me, and we did a we did a case study um, with him on the on the Pymage Search blog. Um, did this interview where he shared his uh, his experience, you know, his lessons learned, what algorithms worked well, and just his suggestions for people who want to start studying computer vision and, and deep learning. Fantastic. We'll definitely include that in the show notes for everybody listening. Check it out. Um, okay. And uh, what is what would you say is the most common question that your students ask you about um, computer vision and OpenCV? Well, I think the most common question is probably why import CV2 is not working. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think that's probably one of, one of the most common ones. Mm. Um, but another question I see get asked is the difference between image classification and, and object detection. Mm. You know, with, um, with standard you know, data science algorithms or machine learning algorithms, you know, we're typically looking for this like yes, no prediction or prediction with certain confidence levels. Um, with computer vision, you can actually, you have this visual aspect uh, where you're not just interested in a, in a yes, no prediction or a probability prediction, you know, What's the probability that there's a dog in this image or, or a cat in this image? Mm -hmm. You want to know where that mm -hmm. cat and dog is. You want the XY coordinates in that image of where various objects are. And I've noticed people who are new to computer vision um, sometimes don't understand the difference between object detection and image classification because it's it's something um, that is really part of computer vision and you might not see it in other areas of data science. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gotcha. So like a normal deep learning CNN, convolutional neural network, wh once you train it up and the way you train it up, it will do classification for you, but it won't allow you to tell in which part of the image you've got the dog or you've got the fluffy ear or you've got the, uh, you know, the cat's nose or whiskers or whatever else. Whereas with computer vision, you take it to the next level, like you get an additional layer of information about the uh, coordinates of certain objects that you might be interested in. Exactly. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, okay, any other interesting questions? This is really cool. I, I personally find, like in my in my experience, because with the courses that we create, you from the questions, analyzing questions and comments from students, you can learn such insightful things about what actually matters and what are the challenges that people face. So, is there anything else you can share with our listeners to help them maybe avoid those same pitfalls and already be have a head start into this field? Yeah, so I think one of the most important things to to understand is computer vision is just like having tools in, in, in your toolbox. You've got to bring the right tool to the job. And this is something that I say all the time on the PyMage Search blog. Just because you have a hammer doesn't mean that every project is a nail. You know, you would never use a hammer to like beat in a screw, right? Mm -hmm. So deep for example, deep learning may be all the all the rage right now, but depending on the problem and depending on the project. A simple application of computer vision will be just as successful and far easier to build, both in terms of time coding and you know the actual time investment of yourself. Um, you know, over over my years of doing this, you know, I've developed sort of a, a sixth sense, just as most advanced practitioners will. Um, but previously, you know, I would start with the basics first. 
and say, you know, will basic image processing algorithms work here? And and I would give it a try and see and just see how far it got me. And I said, and if that didn't work, I'd take a step back and be like, okay, that didn't work. What about some sort of feature extraction and image descriptors and maybe uh, a bit of machine learning? How can how far can I get with that? And if that still didn't work, I would take a step back and assess. You know, do I need other tools? What other tools in my toolbox can I pull out? Do I need deep learning? You know, do I need some sort of more more advanced algorithm? And it's so important to approach computer vision this way because you know it's it's a natural way of building things. You know, you're building this knowledge um, that's you know existed for years. Like you've got to understand basic image processing because that'll under, that'll enable you to perform you know more advanced deep learning techniques. For example data augmentation, you know, ways to generate more training data. That's just, most of that is basic image processing. And it's important for you to understand that. And, you know, continuing up the train, you have to understand why, why is feature extraction not enough in certain cases and when will it not work? Um, and then it, it just builds this almost pyramid level of, of decisions and different topics that you can use and, and tools in your toolbox. So that's something I, I always, always recommend to Pine Research readers is, you know, just because deep learning is super popular, um, right now, doesn't mean that you can't neglect basic computer vision algorithms. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. And that applies not just in computer vision, in any area of data science. I also stand by that approach. It takes, so the, the most successful data scientists have humility. And what that means is a lot of the time, ego can get in the way. You get a project, you're like, oh, I'm going to like go and put the most recent deep learning slash artificial intelligence slash computer vision algorithm I know that exists in the world to solve this problem. Like you you feel you feel that if you apply something simpler that might take you less time, less effort, that might be just like copy pasting a few lines of code from an open source library or some some uh, open project, some example, that that is, you know, that that's not enough effort on your behalf and that you want to actually build something really, really cool. Well, that's not, in terms of business, that might be cool to explore and try out. But in terms of solving actual business problems, if you want to be an ultra successful data scientist that businesses really value and seek out, then you need to like have that humility to put your ego aside and say, all right, what's the actual fastest, most efficient, cost-effective way to get this problem solved. And oftentimes, as Adrian, you pointed out, it's actually just, you know, the simple stuff works best. Yep, and I think I think it's humility, and I think it's also the discipline in what you're doing. Um, you, you don't wanna be chasing the shiny object all the time. You, don't, you know, a new library comes out and it's super shiny and super cool, and you're like, oh, I must have it, I must play with it. And if you're doing a hobby project, or if this is something you're doing on, on your nights and weekends for fun, like, yeah, totally, like, go do that and go explore because, you know, I'm a big advocate of just throwing yourself in the deep end and, and learning how to swim. However, if this is your job, whether it's data science or computer vision, and, you know, you're, you're doing this on the job and, you know, helping your organization by writing this code or training this model, you just, you have to have that discipline to take a step back and be like, okay, like, I know there's this shiny thing over here. I'm gonna write it down in my notebook and I'm gonna check it out when I get home. But while I'm here, while I'm on this job, I'm gonna do what I need to do to get it done. Fantastic, fantastic advice. Thank you so much. Um, 
at this point, I want to, again, switch uh, gears a bit, and I want to talk about your Kickstarters. So for uh, our listeners who don't know, Adrian's had two Kickstarters, and at the time that this podcast is live, Adrian's got a third one running. So let me get you up to speed. So the first Kickstarter, Pi Image Search Gurus Become a Computer Vision plus OpenCV Guru, had 253 backers and raised a total of 34000 almost $35,000. Second Kickstarter was Deep Learning for Computer Vision with Python, the ebook, um, had 1,014 backers and raised a whopping $262,000. So now you've got a third Kickstarter running, at, again, at the time that this podcast is released. I'm very excited to see how that goes because like, I've been following your work, I think, since the second Kickstarter that you launched. So what would you say is the difference between your... Uh, the content that people get in your Kickstarters versus the free content on your website? So there's a lot of free content on the Pine Research blog. I have basic image processing examples. I have basic computer vision all the way up to, to more advanced deep learning tutorials. And you know, there's a lot of websites online today. You can find this content in a lot of different places just by, just by doing a Google search. But what you don't get through that is a nice, linear, cohesive way of starting as a basic, uh, as someone who doesn't have any knowledge or experience in computer vision, you know, all the way up to someone who is, you know, winning Kaggle competitions, for example, or applying deep learning to computer vision at, at their job or changing their careers. You know, having that linear path and that structure is is so valuable, and I believe just a lot of people can uh, really improve their careers just by studying it. Fantastic! Totally, totally agree. That's that's a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing that you're doing to structure out that learning pathway, that journey for people. And I think it's it's very fair that for those who just want to explore computer vision on their own, there's a lot of free content and uh, definitely uh, plenty of uh, areas on YouTube and so on where that can be explored. But if you're serious about computer vision, then you might be interested in considering like a learning pathway. And what I like about your Kickstarters is that the pledge levels um, are not, like you can get in at a very low level if you just want to you know get started and I think it's as low as $50 to get you into this Kickstarter I think it's totally worth it so guys if you're interested in computer vision highly recommend checking this out this Kickstarter is going to end soon um, so if you're on Kickstarter head on over and search for Adrian's latest creation and Adrian I have uh, another question for you from what you've seen in the space of computer vision and how this field has been developing, you're, like, you're one of the top experts in this space. Where would you say this field is going and what should our listeners look into to be prepared for the future that's coming for computer vision? Man, that's, that's such a great question. And you know, I can even start it off just by talking about basic data science and basic machine learning. You know, in, in the mid-90s, we had support vector machines, and people thought they were just the best algorithms ever, and they were just going to work on whatever project we applied them to. And then in the 2000s, we had ensemble methods with uh, with random forest specifically, and then people were like, yeah, this is the future of machine learning. Mm -hmm. And then 2000s, you know, 2012, we have AlexNet, and we start to see the, the dawn of the latest incarnation of machine learning and, and deep learning. So now we're wrapping up, you know, the, the 2010s. We're about to break into 2020s. Mm -hmm. and, and the big question is, what's next? For me, you know, I, I really think embedded computer vision and deep learning is going to be the next big thing in this niche. 
just think of what's happened in the past year. The res, for example, the Raspberry Pi is more popular than ever due to the cheap board, the reasonable specs, and, and the small form factor. Intel. So, has sorry, sorry, can, I'm going to interrupt you. Can you tell us what is the Raspberry Pi? Because I'm like I only know very briefly about it. What what is Raspberry Pi? So the Raspberry Pi is a super cheap $35 single board computer. It has uh, like a gigabyte of RAM, a little bit over of a. a, a as a gigabyte of RAM, a little over a gigahertz um, processor, but with four cores. And it's great for both hobbyists who want to build their own applications, and it's great for teaching, um, for for example, for kids and the, in the STEM area. And it's also great for people who are building their own products because the, the board is so cheap, but it's also really powerful in the sense that it can be deployed almost anywhere. Mm. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Please, please continue. I interrupted. Yeah, so like the, the Pi is super popular. You have Intel releasing version two of their neural compute stick, which is just a plug and play. It looks like a thumb drive, but it mm. actually has uh, special hardware that allows inference and deep learning models to run really quickly. Um, Google has just shipped Coral, their single board and their single board and USB accelerator for artificial and artificial intelligence and deep learning. And now, just a couple weeks ago, NVIDIA announced the Jetson Nano which many consider to be the $99 version of the Raspberry Pi. So it's, it's you know, optimized uh, for, deep for deep learning. It's super powerful. Um, this tells me three things. The first is that there's a huge need for not only Internet of Things devices, but smart Internet of Things devices capable of leveraging computer vision and deep learning. Um, the second thing it tells me is that this need is so strong that large tech giant companies such as Google and Intel and NVIDIA are starting to compete with each other through their own single board offerings. Um, so again, in 2010, you know, we saw the rebirth and resurgence of neural networks and deep learning, but entering the 2020s, I really believe that we'll start to see neural networks and deep learning brought together in small form factor systems and embedded devices, and really just seeing a more pro uh, proliferation of computer vision and deep learning all the way around us. Um, so that's, that's what my new Kickstarter is all about. It's going to focus on, on the Raspberry Pi for, for computer vision. We're going to cover more advanced stuff like Intel's Movidius and Google Coral and the, uh, the NVIDIA Jetson Nano. And the goal of that is just to prepare you for this next big wave that's going to be coming in the 2020s. And that's, uh, I'll say it again, it's embedded computer vision, and you're going to start to see more and more products leveraging embedded systems. Wow, fantastic. Thank you. That's it's a very, very clear description of the future. I think I don't hear those that often. And seems like the way we're going with these embedded computer vision and deep learning uh, tools is really going to revolutionize our, um, just the world we live in, including as consumers, what the things that we operate with, like our mobile phones and things like that. Sounds like a very exciting future and um, really cool to be part of it. Like I'm very happy for you and your students that are uh, in this space. Are you guys excited? How how's how's the community feel? Oh, the community is just so stoked on this, you know. It, and it's it follows like a natural um, a natural progression that I was talking about with my teaching. You know, the first book I ever wrote was The Basics of Computer Vision and how this book can teach you that in, you know, less than a single weekend. It's it's a short book that you can read quickly, build some cool stuff and see it in action. And from there I created a much more in-depth uh, computer vision course, similar to like a college level survey course, but much more 
practical and hands-on. And then we did a deep learning book, uh, specifically deep learning for computer vision, where we learned how to train um, train models for un, for image understanding. Hmm. And now, again, we're, we're going to continue building on that knowledge. Now it's now the time is um, embedded computer vision. So we can take what we learned from the basics of computer vision, we can take our deep learning models, and we can actually deploy them to these embedded systems. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, once again, guys, that's uh, all going to be available on Adrian's new Kickstarter, which uh, you can find in the show notes or by Google, checking out kickstarter.com. And that actually brings us to the end of today's uh, show. Uh, Adrian, thanks so much for coming on and being a pleasure. Before I let you go, though, uh, can you tell us what are some of the best ways for our listeners to contact you and uh, follow your career and your work? Yeah, totally. And, you know, thank you, Creel, so, uh, so much for letting me be on this co- this podcast. It's it's a privilege and, you know, something I don't like, I don't take like thing. I appreciate everything you guys do. So um, just let me start by saying thank you for that. Thank you. So if you if you want to reach out to me and if you want to talk to me, you can go to the pyimagesearch.com blog. That's P-Y as in Python, pyimagesearch.com. There is a contact link and a form that you can fill out. You can email me directly at adrian at pyimagesearch.com, um, on Twitter at pyimagesearch, or if you just Google my name, you'll find my LinkedIn profile as well. Awesome, fantastic. And of course, we'll uh, include all those links in the show notes as well. Um, and uh, one final question before we wrap up. What's a book that you can recommend to our listeners, uh, maybe on computer vision or anything else to help them in their careers? So I, I thought I was like thinking of a good answer to this question because, you know, I knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorites is uh, Sebastian Roshka's uh, Python Machine Learning. It's so easy to follow and so easy to understand. And I wanted to recommend it to, uh, to you guys just as you know, data scientists and uh, and data uh, analysis, like just go read that book and you'll get a lot of value out of it. Gotcha. Thank you very much for the recommendation, Sebastian Rashka's machine learning, and of course, guys, Adrian has a few books of of his own, so have a look at those as well. On that note, Adrian, thanks so much for being here today. Really appreciate you taking the time and sharing this world of computer vision with us and our listeners. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So there you have it. That was Adrian Rosebrook from PyImageSearch.com. I hope you enjoyed today's chat as much as I did. Uh, And what was your favorite takeaway? For me, it was the comment that Adrian made about developing that sixth sense for understanding when to use which model from your toolkit. And at the same time, before you've developed that sixth sense, it's about knowing how to decide which tool to use. So not just throwing everything um, at the problem or just using one thing for all the problems, but having a toolkit and having a methodology about how you're going to decide where to get started with which tool to get started, which tool to try out next, which tool to try out next, and so on. I think that's a very important concept to keep in mind in all areas of data science, not just in computer vision. And on that note, of course, of course, check out Adrian's Kickstarter, which is running right now. It has a limited number of days that it's available for. So if you are interested in computer vision, then head on over to kickstarter.com and search for uh, computer vision or Adrian Rosebrook. Or you can go to the show notes, which are at www.superdatascience.com slash 255. That's superdatascience.com slash 255. There you will find all of the links to materials mentioned in the show, including Adrian's 
Kickstarter campaign, so you can check it out from there as well. On that note, thanks so much for being here today. And if you know anybody who's interested in computer vision, share the love, send them the link to this episode so they can get these valuable insights as well. And I'll see you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>